Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to Genesis chapter 4. I had thought of speaking to the sixth commandment, you shall not kill from the perspective of Ephesians 4 and James chapter 4, which was the perspective of the first part of this sermon on the sixth commandment, but I wanted to go right to the first murder, and that's the murder of Abel by Cain. Lots to learn there. Genesis chapter 4, let's hear this true history, which is of true and great significance to us with regard to the sixth commandment of God, sin in general, and our keeping that in these days, and our being brothers, keepers. Genesis chapter 4, the word of God. Now, Adam knew wife his, Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know him. I my brother's keeper. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Uh, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methushael, and Methushael begat Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. 
For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. As far we read, the history of this terrible murder, which is a fratricide, as we call it, a homicide of a brother. First murder recorded in the scripture, and significantly, the first instance of passions gone awry, which were at the heart of this murder, Cain was very angry at God and at Abel. This is significant for us as we consider the sixth commandment at its very root. And our catechism reminds us of this, and we're not going to read through the whole thing again today, but in Lord's Day 40 it says, God forbids outright murder and harming of others or ourselves, but also the root causes of hatred and envy and vengeful spirit and so on. And here we have the root cause of Cain's murder of Abel, and that is his anger, his being very angry at God and at his brother Abel. So we want to look at that and look at it as we consider ourselves in our attempting to keep the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, with divine passion. And so I want to consider here what is at the heart of keeping this commandment, but also all of them, and could be a veritable theme for all of the preaching of the commandments, we'll see. But the keeping of the sixth commandment with passion divine. I want to consider that there's two races that are seen right here. The, the race of Cain and the race of Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. And the one's murderous and the other is not. The one is murdered. And then we want to consider the two ways. In fact, so significant is Cain's murder here and his dealing with his problems here that he's, there's, there's a way that's named after him in the book of Jude, verse 11, the way of Cain. We're not to follow that way of Cain, that murderous, venge-seeking, hateful way. And so we have two ways, though, that way and there's another way, and I believe you'll be familiar with that way Then we talk about it. Then finally, what it is practically for us to be our brother's keepers. There's two races presented here of the sons of Adam and Eve, the race of the murderers and the race of the murdered. This is the significance of the sixth commandment that came to Israel in stone and which, which was written on everyone's heart, even Cain's and Abel's heart, you shall not kill. So long before the Ten Commandments were written in stone, Cain knew that what he did was wrong. God had said, you shall not kill, and they knew this in their heart of hearts, what we call the conscience or the voice of God. This is what is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment, all kinds of killing that's illicit, that is, out of hatred for the neighbor, out of hatred for yourself, and so, and, and therefore the, the anger that's behind it and the vengeful seeking uh, passion that rages in you that's behind it, that's also forbidden. Talking evil of one another because you're not uh, 
man or woman enough to talk uh, to the person in, in his face and so on. That's also forbidden here. Gestures on the road, flipping the bird at somebody, honking the horn in, in, in your, your anger at people, your sinful anger. Honking the horn's not wrong, but uh, oftentimes it's because we're so frustrated and we're angry at that person. Well, we just killed them. Road kill is often done by many a horn. And so we go on and on, and we know this whole world is, is mad. I brought that out in the last sermon. We live in a mad, mad, angry, murderous world. It's striking how this comes out midterm elections or every four years in the national elections, the anger of man and the politicians leading the way, they, they seem to think they're helpless if they don't fight fire with fire. They said that about me. I'm going to have to say that about them in order to get elected. It ought not to be. It ought not to be. Let's not follow that. But so it is. And in the debates, for example, there's hardly a time when there can be a civil, uh, let alone an intellectual discourse about the facts. It, it comes into a lot of name-calling and slandering, and you said this and that and the other thing, and they're taking things out of context. It's on both sides of the aisle, Republican, De- Democrat, and everywhere in between. These people leading the way. And it's the case when people... They, they follow their own passions, and people say, no, you may not do that. Uh, so they say, I am a she when they're clearly a, a male, or I'm a bunny rabbit when they're clearly human. And it's all through society, and anybody who opposes this kind of nonsense and foolery and so on is, is said to be guilty of a hate crime. Well, behind lots of the accusations of hate crimes, beloved, is hate itself for anyone standing up against someone's rights. Now, this is really what went on here. This first instance, not only of murder, the deed, but of passion, sinful passion. This first instance, when God himself notes here in his word, Cain was very angry, so his countenance fell when God didn't, Accept his offering, verse 5. And when the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why do you show this? And being so sad, your countenance has fallen. And why are you doing this? Remember, if you do this, sin lies at the door. God warns Cain, if you give yourself over to this anger any longer, there's a lion waiting outside of your, your comfort zone here. And that lion... Uh, is like the devil, and he's waiting to, con- to eat you up so that the anger you thought to have toward somebody and maybe toward God, yes, indeed, toward God, is itself going to come back at you and eat you and consume you and how we know this is the case. Sin has a way of that. Anger, maybe especially, or lust, sexual uh, lust and so on, has a way of getting us, 
getting us who thought we were free because we could do these things or that we had a right to be angry. And so we're just going to show our angry a little bit or maybe a lot. Ends up eating us up, consuming us. People die physically holding a grudge. They turn green. They turn different colors with envy. They turn red with rage. Oh, this is wrong. It's the nature of sin to be passionate, to have feelings. They're centered on self. They're all centered on self. Basically, you could say that Cain's problem was he was pouting because he didn't get his way. He was angry at God for not accepting him just the way he was, which is really what he did. He brought something to God, but he was thinking that God was just the way he was, just the way Cain was, and therefore you can bring anything. We're on the same level. And you can do your best, and wow, how great it was probably that Cain had this crop. But God, the holy God, was not going to accept that offering, of course, because God knows sin, and God knows there has to be atonement, and Abel brought the right sacrifice. You see, children, he was believing in Jesus before Jesus was born and died. There was this prophetic picture of the Christ and his sacrifice in the lambs and the bulls and the goats they had to offer, in the blood they had to shed. Someone had to take the place of Abel, Abel knew. Someone had to take the place of Cain, Cain well knew. He said, nope, I got something better. And I know, God, we're in like this. And he's surely going to accept the work of my hands. And that was folly and pride. And a lack of recognition of the sinfulness of sin. People talk about sin in the church. What about the sinfulness of sin? Your sin and and my sin. Beginning not in the deed, but in the passions. In the desires. God curse our desires. It's where it all begins. The lack of passion for God and his glory and the substitute passion for self and my glory. This is at the heart of Cain's first passion at evil. Now, as we'll say a little while in the second point, I think he got that from Adam, not only by generation and original sin, but because Adam himself was an angry man. It's hinted at when he blames Eve, the woman you gave me, for the problem of the fall. And Eve herself was this angry, upset woman and blamed God, and it's the blame game. That's what anger is all about. And the psychologists and the experts on anger and, and the root cause of murder and self-destruction and, and being not only a pest but a real problem in the home and wherever, 
They say that there's other sources, too, of anger and of a murderous and abusive kind of attitude. And it can be anxiety. I, I, didn't, I wasn't confirmed when I was younger, and so I, I, I just can't take this lack of being confirmed, and, and I'm not happy at that. It could be a jealousy that you had. It could be a reaction. Anger could be murderous anger to... <clears throat> thinking that life has passed you by and that you really didn't have opportunities like somebody else did. And so you lash out but at other people in your life and you haven't resolved the problem, which is not the problem you think it is, that you weren't dealt with well as a child. And folks, don't get me wrong, I'm not being insensitive to the fact that a lot of people have a lot of problems because they had parents who were a lot of problems to them or problems, uh, parents who weren't even there. But the problem of all of our problems is how we react to the problems. That's the problem. Think of that. Our passions are reactions our anger, our slow burn, our covetousness, our anxiety that leads to being upset and leads to being angry, anything that upsets our comfort zone and so on. This is all of a piece having to do with our not reacting well to life. And in Abel's, Cain's case, to God. And that's ultimately the problem. When we are killers... we would kill off God if we could. Don't like his providence, the hand he's dealt us. That guy's got a straight flush. I have a two. That's how we act. And we're not happy. We're not happy with the Lord Jesus Cain wasn't. So the whole race begins this way. Adam and Eve. Cain. Firstborn. Eve was thinking, this is it. This is the seed of the woman. Promised to crush the head of the snake. Glad for that? No. Cain, firstborn. Amazing. Amazing God's way, isn't it? We, you know, if, the, if we wrote the Bible, it would be all different, of course. Probably wouldn't be a fall. Surely wouldn't be that we were the real problem. Just the devil. Just blame the devil. Wouldn't start this way, either. After God promises, there's going to be this child of the woman, and that's going to take care of all things and so on. That the first child of the woman would be this reprobate, and I believe he was cursed. His way is the way that's a bad way to follow. The race that comes from him, Lamech and everybody else, they're murderers just like he is. Or if they're not, that the great of the earth, the sons of, of Lamech, Jabal, Jubal, Tubal, Cain, the great and the high and the mighty, but you don't read anything of their great worship 
That comes from Seth and the sons of Seth. That race, that's the seed of the devil. That's how the Bible pictures this. More on that presently. But remarkably, when the commandment is given in Israel, you shall not kill, it's to a redeemed people. That's you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, to set you free to be not killers, but pro-life. That's no political stance. That's You heard it first in the Bible. You shall not murder. And that means, and this is what I'm emphasizing here, passionate for life and equally passionate with regard to evil and murderous sins. So, for example, negatively here, this race is, by the grace of God, a race in distinction from Cain and his lot that is angry at evil, but not sinfully angry. Be angry and sin not, the psalmist says, and James picks up on that in chapter 4. Be angry and sin not. A lot of people forget this. They say, well, because anger is the root of uh, the evil of murder and all of this stuff, we should never be angry. That's not biblical. There's a righteous anger. Jesus was angry when he threw out the the money changers in the temple and so on. Paul was angry when he said, Cursed is anyone who dares to bring an Arminian gospel, which is exactly no gospel, which was really the case in the heart of it among the Galatians, long before Arminius. How dare anyone say that God needs help and man can provide the help to save himself? That's back to Cain, isn't it? A Canaanitish sort of sin. But we're angry. Angry. That, this is so vital for our understanding these commandments. Doing them is not, first of all, in the outward keeping of them, but it's having a passion for them and an equally negative passion against anything that would provoke us to disobedience or tempt us to disobedience. Be angry at the abortionist. Yes. Be angry, righteously angry, spiritually angry on the behalf of God. Be angry at all unbelief. Be angry at yourself, first of all. When we are said to examine ourselves, we're we're called to detest ourselves. So on the liturgical form committee and people were hankering or calling for us to change those words. I abhor myself or I detest myself. I argue that we should keep it. It's biblical. After Job was brought to his senses by all the questions God gave, he said, I abhor myself. I'd like to be with Job humble before God, 
wouldn't you? Abhorring yourself. Now, this is not this idea of a low self-esteem. No, it's a high esteem of God. That's what it is. And when we say we abhor ourselves, it's not everything about ourselves because the real part of ourselves is in Christ, and this we love. And so there's this love-hate thing with ourselves, isn't there? But principally, it's we love ourselves, and we're to love the neighbor, beginning with ourselves, I suppose, if we can call ourselves a neighbor, as ourselves. So none of this self-hatred so that you forget that there's someone to love in you. That's you. Because God is in you. Don't you dare hate yourself with some sort of repentance that only ends up in, in hurting yourself. Don't do that. You are a child not of the mere universe, but of God. Love that. Your place in the body, your place in life. You're made for such a time as this. Whether you're tall or short, fat, skinny, or whatever, whatever color, whatever nationality, if you know Jesus, you're loved of God. You love that, but you hate sin. And even, this isn't very popular, you hate sinners. Yeah. You hate sinners. People say, oh, no, you don't. Yes, you do. If you'd be as a psalmist in Psalm 139, I hate them with perfect hatred that hate you, O Lord. When Jesus is talking about loving even your enemies and blessing those who curse you, you realize that in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking of your personal enemies. He's talking of Abel in your life. He's talking of Bob Seipel, the guy I bring up all the time with whom I had a fight in the eighth grade. He's saying, don't take it out on him. All your problems and your frustrations. But as people stand and hating God and they defy God, you better hate them perfectly, though. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not pronouncing them reprobate, but as they are. As they despise God. How could you... Enjoy that and delight in that. Perfect hatred is holiness. But then you love them, of course, hoping for their salvation. Recognizing, but for the grace of God, you go. You have this passion, this anger at sin and all sin starting at yourself. But then you have this love. This love, that's the positive. You love life. And it's not just about going to the abortion clinics and saying no. But it's about every day you're on your knees and saying, Lord, help me to live for you. Help me to be passionate about Christianity. And help me, though, I'm not the minister, the elder, the deacon, or whatever, truly to know that I am called to love and to love people and to love this church and to love the cause of Jesus Christ and to show it by being responsible and and giving my all for this congregation and for the neighbor and to bring people to Christ and to church to the throne of grace. And that, beloved, is imitating the passions of God. And again, another thing that perhaps people don't understand, God has passions. Even though the Westminster Confession of Faith says God doesn't have passions, 
You understand that? That means he's not like us. He doesn't have human passions. He doesn't change. Now think. And you can think, I know that. You can take some meat here. God, he doesn't have passions like we are. He doesn't change. He doesn't react. And therefore, he gets upset because there's something out of line. Doesn't change his mind and repent like men repent. He's not up and down and we have to say and go out in the flowers and say, he loves me, he loves me not. He's steady as she goes. He's steady as God is. He's faithful when we're not. He's God. So his passions are different than ours, and yet they're an archetype of what ours ought to be. And here is something I say to you. In the name of God is the key to understanding what it is to be in this world, not of this world, passionate and yet not given to lust and given over be as God. So in a way, we're not affected by what happens. We're not so angered that we're surprised and then reacting to the anger. Remember, we're as God. We're as image bearers. Instead, we're above the fray, as it were. Even though we feel and we empathize with all of the hurt, and we are hurt, nevertheless, there's a divine nature that God has made us to have, Peter says. A divinity about us, not we're gods, but we're his children. And so we're not enslaved to being adopted. Not enslaved, we think that's a bad thing. Not enslaved to having a disease. Not enslaved to being single, and we don't want to be single. We're not going to get angry and frustrated because we're passed over for the, for the job promotion and so on. Because we're in Christ in that factory, in Christ in that situation, in Christ on the playground and being beaten to a pulp and tempted to beat the other guy with your own fists. That's biblical passion, divine. There's a divinity a meekness that is of Jesus and, and an anger that is righteous and that doesn't get out of hand, doesn't get out of the fireplace. A contentment with life that doesn't fester and become anxiety and become anger at everything and lashing out at everything. No, no. So that the righteous man is stronger than a city, as the Bible says. Because he holds in his anger. And all the Proverbs young men are about controlling your lustful passions of youth. Because it's right. And it nips in the bud all this stuff. Anger and whatnot. That leads to the way. The way of Cain and the way of Christ. Why is there this race? of murderers. People angry with God, people angry with one another, comes out in all kinds of ways in civil unrest. Well, it's because of original sin. Adam knew Eve. Adam was fallen in sin. 
He was now the progenitor of a fallen race. In Adam all die, Romans 5. Genesis 4 is the beginning of Romans 5. In Adam all who are going to be born die. Cain is the first and Abel is the second. They're, they're all of this race unless God makes them of another race by grace. And so Adam knows Eve, his wife, and she conceives and bears Cain, and there's this passing on of the original sin, and therefore of original passions, and of original anger, and of original, even in the garden, not liking God for who he is, not wanting to worship God the way he has said, by obeying him and doing what he's called you to do. That sinfulness toward God and then to the neighbor is passed on. And it becomes what's called in the book of Jude, the way of Cain, striking. The way of Cain, the way of murder. Something that can creep into the church of Jesus Christ. Jude chapter 1, of course, is only one chapter. Verse 11, woe to them for they've gone in the way of Cain. These are the ones who are defiant of God. They've gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And beloved, this is the way. This is following the path of disobedience to God and of rejection of the God above and of the Christ who comes and of the way out, the Savior and the blood and believing in the blood. People don't want any of that. Why is it that the civil discourse is this uncivil, unrighteous discourse about mere men and mere policies and mere proposals? And there's nothing, hardly, of the Word of God. What's right? Because this is the race of the race. This is their realm. This is what they do. And if you're going to win, you've got to roll up your sleeves and fight back and go out in the field and look this way and that way and kill the other guy. It's the brutal realm of politics. It's all beginning here. It's striking that what happened when Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Uh, They bore Enoch, and Enoch was the great society builder. And in Enoch's society, he built a city, called the name of it after his son Enoch, was born all these city builders and man builders, and they would become the builder of Babel in then Noah's line. But there's this amazing passing on of the murderous gene, if you can call it that. The murderous propensity. Look at Lamech. Lamech's this great guy, but he's an adulterer, has two wives. And then he has these great sons, and they're outstanding for what they do. They're they're the musicians, they're the craftsmen, they're the the mechanics and the engineers and the movers and the shakers, the father of all of those who would come out of the loins of the race who are great and mighty. And look what he says to Zillah and Ada, his wives, 
Wives of Laban, listen to my speech. This is what he wants to leave to his wives. I've killed a man for wounding me, followed in the lines of Father Cain. And even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, and Lamech seventy-sevenfold. There it is. The legacy of the murderers. There it is. Nothing to do with the worship of God. But then, there's the Christ way, of course. That's the other way, the way we know. Jesus. Beloved is all about Jesus, isn't it? Right here in Genesis 4, as in Genesis 3, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Not in the way that Eve thought or Adam thought, but in the way that God planned. In the killing of Abel, the righteous Abel, and the apparent success story of the rest of the race, And how they're going to just take over. Isn't that amazing? And the meek, all they have that is a witness is their blood crying for vengeance. And then Adam and Eve, they bore another son, Seth. But that's when men began to call on the name of the Lord. The end of chapter 4. There's another race. They followed the way Jesus. They followed the way of the passion of God to show off his glory and his righteousness and holiness and his love. Met together on Calvary and forgiving sins. And God, being righteous in all that he does and giving his own son and the lifeblood of his son, that cries out from the cross for vengeance. Which blood is heard so that there is vengeance of God, righteous vengeance, his way, his righteousness, and for our life. Well, beloved, finally, in a rush here, too much, too bad. What about being brothers, keepers? I remember... I was a young convert, and my mother was saying, you ought, you, ought to help. you ought to help Michael or something like that, my brother. You ought to forgive him, maybe. And I said, foolishly, am I my brother's keeper? I didn't know who I was quoting here. Cain. Well, I learned to my shame that that wasn't good to do that, to quote that. Because I am my brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. If you're God's. You know that? Beloved, in the congregation, it's so important that we know that. And that it's not just about flesh and blood. But it's about brothers and sisters in Christ. You're your brother's keeper. Your brother's help. Your sisters help. You're here not to bite and devour each other. Be careful. You're here not to act the part of Cain. James 4, look at this. You murderers, he says. You adulterers, you murderers. 
You lustful people, you passionate king-like people, what are you doing? John, the apostle of love, has to go and point out in countless ways, if you don't love your brother, you can't say you love God. You're your brother's keeper. You're your unworthy of being loved brother's keeper. Even though it seems like God favors them more than you. You don't know that. It's not true. But you make it up. Any excuse not to be your brother's keeper. Don't do that. Start at home. Be your brother's keeper in the home, folks. And then you come here. You show off just how much you love across the aisle. How much you've been praying for one another. How much you appreciate everybody in the congregation. How much you appreciate the neighbor. The story you've told about loving that that brother man. And in the broadest sense, we're the brothers of all humanity. Of course, God is not the father of everybody, but he's the creator of everybody. And so this world, this mission field, this killing ground, this cemetery becomes hopeful only when you go into it and you say, I'm my brother's keeper because I'm saved and kept by God and he's loved me and he hasn't executed me like I deserve. For countless time I've gone into the field and I've slain the brother or I've gone into a stew and slain the mother and slain the sister, slain the wife and slain the husband. But God spared me. Because he loves me. In fact, he's passionate about me. And you. With all his heart. And soul and mind and strength. He loves you. You. Even you. Even this guy. Just because he's God. So be pro-life because you're pro-God. Amen. We pray, Father, you bless us. Keep this congregation in your, in your palm. Lord, keep us as we keep one another, as we help one another, as we are concerned for one another, as we lift each other up to the throne of grace and say, Lord, here's my brother, here's my sister, here's the neighbor. I commit them into your hands. And oh, Lord, because you've loved us and we're in your hands. And you've accepted our offerings even. Because we've come, nothing in our hands bringing, but solely to the cross clinging. In Jesus' name, amen.